Guys, I have to tell you, I was super excited. This Thanksgiving is the first time Brittany and I didn't travel in the almost, I say seven years, but it's really been six and a half. But it's seven dog years, so. Uh, uh, the first time we didn't travel for Thanksgiving since we've been married, and it was awesome. And uh, I was really excited because my wife's a really good cook, and I asked her two weeks before Thanksgiving when I found out we were going to host, so what are you going to make for Thanksgiving? And she was like, oh, I'm going to make this spinach butternut squash salad. And I was like, really? <laughs> That's not what I think of when I think of the things I'm excited about for Thanksgiving. Um, in fairness, I have to say, she did make this salad, and it was really good. But I was like, what do you think I want? You know, like, maybe some turkey and mashed potatoes and stuffing. And uh, Brittany knew that. It was so obvious she didn't mention it. But the butternut squash salad wasn't at the top of my list. Um, I have to give some credit where it's due. I took a risk this year for Thanksgiving. Instead of cooking a traditional turkey in the oven, Mr. Aaron Brown over here got me some turkey at the Odin Meat Locker in Odin, Indiana. And this turkey is like a combination of meat and dessert. It is that good. It's like beautiful meatiness and like perfectly sweet. It was awesome. Uh, I absolutely loved it. But uh, the reason I share that is we've all got these things that are like essentials for Thanksgiving, right? You can't, you can't just have the squash salad for Thanksgiving. You gotta have the Thanksgiving essentials. Thanksgiving dinner is not Thanksgiving dinner without those things. And so this semester we've been doing this series, Real Identity, talking about um, who we are in Christ, these blessings that are ours, that were given by faith. And so we've gone through these essentials, these foundational truths that define who we are. And this stuff's a huge deal because apart from our identity in Christ, we look to the things of this world to find our sense of understanding on who we are. And so that becomes about what can I do to make a name for myself? How can I be someone significant? My performance defines who I am. And so uh, we find ourselves never having enough. We've got to have more. We've got to make ourselves uh, someone of worth in this world. But in Christ, we're given a new identity through him. And uh, we studied some really rich blessings. We've uh, gone through these uh, central truths of the Christian faith. We talked about how we're chosen in Christ. We're blessed um, with the gift of faith. We receive God's grace that we might be a blessing to the world. We get to extend that grace to others. We talked about how we're redeemed from sin. We're purchased back from sin at the price of Christ's own life. Uh, Christ's sacrifice on the cross purchased us from sin. And we're forgiven, which means our sin will no longer be held against us. We no longer have to pay the penalty because Christ paid it in full on the cross. And so we are people who forgive. We extend forgiveness because we've been forgiven ourselves. And Dan Waugh was here, Dan the man, uh, talked about how we're made holy in Christ. We are holy in him because Christ's record is imputed <coughs> into the word on our behalf. It's given to us. When God looks at us, he sees Christ's perfect righteousness. And so we are holy, but we're transformed to be holy by the work of the Spirit inside of us. By the power of the Spirit, we are able to become who we already are. It's a really cool truth because we're holy, but God is also making us holy in our conduct. And so uh, last time we were out here, we talked about how we're empowered by the Holy Spirit. We have hope in our pursuit of growth um, because it's not up to us to grow. We grow because the Spirit inside of us causes us to grow as we rely on Him, as we depend on Him. And so it's the Spirit who grows us in godliness, in holiness, and 
empowers us to serve and bring glory to God. And so those are essential blessings of our Christian faith. Those are the turkey and the stuffing and the mashed potatoes. If we missed any of those blessings in this sermon series, we are really missing out. Um, and so tonight I want to talk about one last blessing, and it is another essential. Uh, comes at the end, and it's a great one, so we can kind of think of it as the pumpkin pie, because um, it's sweet. And uh, that blessing is it's eternal security that we have in Christ. We are eternally secure in Him, and what I'm talking about is the truth that those who have trusted Jesus Christ in faith never have to worry about falling away, because you cannot lose your salvation. The essential truth of the Christian faith is that salvation is the work of God through and through, because it is Him who draws us to faith, it is Him who causes us to grow in our faith by the power of His Spirit inside of us, and it is His Spirit that sustains us and causes us to persevere. That is the work of God. It's not on us, and that is a huge blessing, and uh, I'm really looking forward to talking about it together. We've been in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14 throughout this sermon series, and so I want to read that uh, passage for us, and then tonight we're going to kind of park ourselves in verses 13 and 14 there. Let's check this out. Ephesians 1, uh, verses 1 through, or pardon me, verses 3 through 14. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect in the time to reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him, who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. He's talking to the Gentiles there. When you believed, you were marked in him with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Father God, thank you for your word. We thank you. Uh, it's so powerful, and it teaches us about who we are in you. We thank you for the gift of faith in Christ, and that you give us a new identity. And we pray that tonight you would be present among us, that your spirit would speak to our hearts. Um, God, only you know where we're at, and uh, your word is powerful, so we ask that you would be in this place, and that you would minister to us and draw us closer to yourself. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so here we are in Ephesians uh, chapter 1, pardon me, I wrote the wrong number there, chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. But I want to share a little story with you. This might sound really depressing if it's news to you, but there are very few sure things in life. I kind of learned this my freshman year, so I came into college, and the thing I was most excited about was not learning. Uh, it was running on the track and cross-country teams at Calvin College, and throughout high school I kind of saw this really nice pattern where if I just got older and kept working at it, I would keep improving. But I went to college, and in my first season, my two best races were the first two. And as the year went on, I got worse and worse. Um, and so not only was I not improving, but I also found myself injured. 
I got a stress fracture in my shin my first year of college, which was followed by three more stress fractures in my college career, and surgery on my foot. Uh, that was really frustrating because I thought it was a sure thing that as long as I worked hard and really wanted to invest myself in it, I would continue to improve. Uh, man, that wasn't as sure of a thing as I thought. Here's another story. A lot of people experience this reality in the job world. One of my good buddies in town went to a great university in the Northeast. And when he graduated, he had a job in the financial industry in New York City. And so he moved to New York to work for Citibank. This was in 2008. Got this beautiful apartment in New York City. And when he moved in, it wasn't but a few days. He hadn't even started his job yet when he found out that Citibank was at a point of financial crisis. They fired, or pardon me, cut 52,000 jobs, including the one he had moved there to fill and had just signed a lease. And so here he is with no money, ready to start his dream job in the finance industry. And not only is he not having that job, but he's tied down to this huge financial burden. Um, wow, uh, not a sure thing. And so this can even hit us in um, even more difficult ways. We have a guy here at the church who's just my age. His name's Jeff Hockett. A year ago, he was just living life, working his job. Um, he and his wife have been married just about as long as Brittany and I. And uh, someone's a very important person, so someone's calling me on my cell phone. Just kidding. I think that's uh, probably my mommy. <laughs> she wants my Christmas list. <laughs> Hashtag blessed. <laughs> Back on track. <laughs> this is the problem that happens when uh, I'm a little too familiar when I'm preaching. <laughs> Jeff Hockett, this guy's my age, been married just as long as I have. A year ago, he's healthy, working a job. Right now, he's two months past the bone marrow transplant, fighting for his life. He's got uh, cancer. He's in a tough spot. And so we're praying that God would bring complete healing to him. God's been faithful to this point. Um, and so we're just trusting him in that. But man, that sure was not on Jeff and Shauna's radar. Life is uncertain. There are very few sure things in life. And so as we think about that together as Christians, how do we deal with uncertainty? When we look for security in the things of this world, it's not there. Uh, Jesus says that when our lives are built on, along the things of this world, uh, it's like building a house on a foundation of sand. It's unstable. It's an unsure foundation. And when the storms of life come, our lives will be compromised because they're not built on something that is secure. And so Jesus says wisdom in this way, uh, in this regard, is finding security in him. A wise man builds his house on the rock, which is a life of faith, trusting in Christ. And so he says the rain came down and the streams rose. The winds blew against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. And so Christians were people who fight the temptation to trust in the things of this world because it's so much easier to trust in things that we can see, things that we can hold on to, but we can't put our hope in those things. We fight the good fight of faith in Jesus and all things to trust him because he is the place where real security can be found. And we are not promised that we'll be spared of all pain, but God does promise to be with us in the midst of our circumstances and that his grace will be sufficient for us no matter what we go through. And the truth that I want to share with us, uh, that I want to focus us on here tonight is this promise that God will sustain us goes even beyond our physical lives. We are spiritually secure in Christ forever. For all of eternity, God will never leave us or forsake us. And so... Uh, Pizza's here. And it's going to be so good. It's in the armor bags. 
and I'm going to keep it quick. Uh, let's check out this verse here on the screen, Ephesians 1, verses 13 through 14. Let's see what this blessing of eternal security is all about. Let me read it again. You were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed. You were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. And so let's go through that text. The Ephesians, they heard the truth and were saved because they responded to it by trusting Christ. And this resulted in them being marked with a seal, the Holy Spirit. And so that's another role of the Spirit that we see here. The Spirit's a deposit in believers toward the inheritance that is theirs. The, f- the full blessing that we'll receive when Christ completes his work of redemption in our lives. And so we can think of the Spirit as a down payment on that inheritance that we'll receive. He's a deposit in our lives. And so why does God do this? We can see it right there at the end of this passage. Paul says it. It's for God's glory. And that might seem like a strange thing, that God would cause us to persevere in our faith for God's glory. Because when we think about people seeking their own glory, we're like, wow, you'd have to be really egotistical to be all about seeking your own glory. But what we have to remember is that there's nothing egotistical about God seeking his own glory, because God actually is the center of the universe. He actually is God. He's the creator and sustainer of all things. God is glorious. That is the absolute core of his being. That's who God is. And so he is absolutely deserving of our praise. He's deserving of our admiration because his glory is the most true reality about our universe. And so God works salvation and redemption in our lives to make his glory known, his holiness and his sovereignty and his grace across the earth. And so he'll cause us to be sustained in our faith to increase his glory and he'll never let us fall away to make his glory even further known. And so in essence what Paul is really saying in this passage is that those who trust Jesus in faith can be confident that they will not lose their salvation. They'll be secure in Christ forever because God will sustain them himself that his glory might be increased. And this is really big stuff. I think if I would have understood this when I was a kid I probably would have I probably would have like another 40 hours or so in my lifetime sleep bank because I can remember times when I was a kid like laying awake in bed like praying the sinner's prayer for the hundredth time because I just wanted to make sure like in case that monster really did crawl out from under my bed and get me, I was guaranteed to go to heaven because I knew I had done some bad things since the last time I prayed it. And so I had this fear that maybe my salvation wasn't assured. Um, it wasn't a sure thing. And... Uh, I was aware of the mistakes I'd made, and I wanted to make sure God's grace could cover over that. And I remember still thinking about this as a teenager, a young adult, as I grew in awareness of my sin, and the sin in the lives of other believers, I remember really trying to sort through this issue. I know that God completely forgives us in Jesus, but what if I can't stop the sin I'm struggling with? Or are there some sins that are just a step too far? We think about those things. There's some tough questions. What about how if a person has once decided to trust Christ in faith, but they stopped believing. What does God do then? Um, can a person who was once saved no longer be saved? Those are really tough questions. And it would be foolish to think that only children wrestle with those things. Those are difficult questions for us to wrestle with in our faith. Um, but we know, we know that it's true that God's forgiveness is complete, but we still can't help but feel like it's too good to be true when the sin in our lives 
burdens us when that sin weighs particularly heavy. Um, nonetheless, the teaching of our passage tonight is one that's confirmed throughout the New Testament, and it's that those who have trusted Christ in faith can sleep soundly because our future is absolutely secure. It's sealed in Jesus' work on our behalf on the cross and in his resurrection from the grave. He'll never let us go. And so I want to look at a few more of these passages that kind of corroborate with this truth of our security in Christ. And the first, Romans 8.30, those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. So what that verse shows us is how salvation really is the work of God through and through. It's God's work that leads us to faith, and it's also God's work that causes us to persevere in our faith. Next up, John 10, verse 29, my father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. What Jesus is saying here is that God is not going to let his work be compromised. Christ's work on the cross will not be erased, because whom Jesus saves, he keeps. Let's look at Romans 5, verse 10. For if we were enemies while we were reconciled, for if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. And so what he's saying here, Paul is saying that if God saved us while we were yet sinners, how much more confident then can we be now that we'll be saved, that we are in Christ? If he saved us while we were yet sinners, now that we are in Christ, how much more confident can we be? What he's saying is that our new life in Christ is irrevocable, it's permanent, it's irreversible and unchanging. That's Romans 11, verse 29. And so Jesus is our hope, now and forever, because he's rescued us from sin and given us eternal life. And we see that we can trust God. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 10, check it out there. We can trust God to see our salvation through because salvation is all about God's work in our lives. It's all about him. And so eternal security is this absolutely essential foundational truth of our faith. It's a huge blessing that we don't have to be afraid. We'll be sustained in Christ by the power of the Spirit and the grace of God forever. It's not up in the air. Our future is sealed in God's grace. Uh, but there is some tension in the church on this topic. You may have heard people come down the other side of this theological issue before. Uh, I want to say that there are some passages that do appear to contradict the truth that we are eternally secure in Christ, but I don't believe that when we actually look at the context that that's what these teachings are saying. Scripture certainly cautions people against the danger of false assurance, and so I want to talk about false assurance here for a few minutes because I think that a lot of those passages that lead to confusion are really cautions that we need to hear about the danger of having a false sense of assurance if we haven't really trusted Christ in faith. Uh, here's one of them. This is Jesus, uh, pardon me, this is Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Let's read it, Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Um, this, is, this is a tough passage. Here, Jesus is warning that there will be people who have claimed to be his followers, and God may even have used them as instruments to do his work. 
in the world to some extent, but these people never truly submitted their lives to Christ and trusted him in faith. And so on the last day, I never knew you. The Apostle John also wrote about the danger of having one foot in to the church, but not really committing your heart to Christ in faith. Uh, in the, the letter First John, he talks about these people who participated in the life of the church, but never truly believed. And so these people had actually gone out from the church and started preaching a false gospel built on this platform of mystical experience and a need for further revelation to really be saved um, and understand God. And so these people denied that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God in the flesh. And Jesus, he refers to them as antichrist. He's not talking about some sort of mythical being. He's talking about these people preaching a truth other than the one true gospel. And so let's listen to what he says here in First uh, John. It's not going to be up on the screen. This is verses 18 and 19 of chapter 2. He says, Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. And so what John is saying here is that there will be some who participate in the life of the church who, like the people in these passages, have not truly trusted in Christ. And it's, it's confirmed in their works here. And so we can be confident that God will never let go of someone who's truly believed Jesus in faith. But it really is important for us to kind of take a step back and ask ourselves if we have done that. Have we truly trusted Christ for forgiveness of our sins, or are we looking to justify ourselves? Are we looking for a new philosophy or a savior of our own making? Are we following Christ in faith and repentance in the way that we live? Or do we just want Jesus to kind of be the bulldozer who smooths out the road and we've got things we feel like we can't handle ourselves? I know that's a temptation for all of us, even when we are followers of Christ. But if that's our chief motivator in relationship with Jesus, I think that we need to be warned of the fact that false assurance is a risk. Um, if we've been living a relationship with God that is based on Him in a way that reflects this idea that He's meant to be a tool for my own uh, satisfaction rather than He is the God of the universe who's made a way for me in spite of my sin, that through Christ I can be saved um, and I can follow Him as Lord, in order to live a fulfilling life because he is the true center of the universe? Man, we better take this warning. Uh, listen to this quote from Charles Spurgeon. He gives us this warning. If our religion be of our own getting or making, it will perish, and the sooner it goes, the better. But if our religion is a matter of God's giving, we know that he shall never take back what he gives, and that if he has commenced to work in us by his grace, he will never leave it unfinished. And so... What he's saying here, in essence, is that only God knows our hearts. If you've never trusted Christ as Savior and Lord, then the sooner you can lose that false faith, the better. Because Jesus alone is our life. This is something that we can understand in our minds, but I think that most of us could probably also think of some stories of friends or family members where it's something that is hard for us to sort through as we look at uh, the way their story has unfolded. We all know people who have spent time in the church and walked away. Uh, I have a really good friend who was very involved in the church, and he made the decision that it really wasn't what he thought it was, and um, the faith that he once had was no longer going to be a part of his life, and it's been really a hard thing for me to see him go through that. I still care for him. I've built into that friendship, and I 
am praying for him, and I often will talk to him about matters related to faith, and I really hope that he comes back. Now, I truly believe that a work that God begins in a person's life, he will see it to completion, and God will not let him go. Now, my friend would say, I don't know that I ever really truly believed. And I say, well, I think you did, and I think you're going through a rough patch right now. What it comes down to is only God knows, and so we have to trust him with that. And our role in situations like that is to care for people, to share Christ, and to pray for them, and to trust that God is over to their life is over their life, and God is able to act in their situation. And so maybe they did know him. Let's pray that God will bring them back on track. Maybe they didn't know them. Maybe God didn't. Uh, maybe they hadn't trusted in God to begin with. But man, God sure is able to work out salvation. He's powerful to do that. So um, either way, we need to care for those people and build them up and pray that God would intervene. And so how does this, uh, how does this dial in for all of us personally? I want to talk about that for a few minutes. I want you to know that if you've trusted Christ in faith, there is no need for you to ever fear. There's no need to run in circles of endless introspection wondering whether or not you're really saved. And so we can put that to rest. And I want to conclude with a few passages that kind of give us a few tests. Um, not a test that you should think of, oh man, I hope I pass this and don't fail. But these are confirmations that you can look to to know that you really have trusted Christ in faith and you can know you're saved. And so let's look at these verses. Um, John 16, verses 7 through 8. Uh, talking about the Holy Spirit's coming, Christ talks about the way in which he will come to convict people of sin. And so the Spirit convicts us of sin. What I want to say to you is that this verse teaches us that if you are convicted of sin and you're aware of your need for God's grace, and you do believe that only Jesus Christ is able to forgive your sins, and you've trusted in his death and resurrection on your behalf, that's evidence of the Spirit's work in your life. If you are convicted of your need for a Savior, and you're aware of the fact that Jesus Christ alone is able to forgive you of your sin, and you've trusted Him for that forgiveness, you can know with confidence that you're saved. Another passage here in Colossians 1, uh, verses 22 through 23, But now He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in His sight without blemish and free from accusation, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. So what Paul is saying here is not that if you ever falter, or you ever struggle, or stumble, that you, uh, you have the opportunity to lose your faith. But what he is saying here is that one way you can know that you're truly saved is if your experience of faith in Christ wasn't just a one-time thing. I didn't just believe in Christ then, but the way I'm living my life now shows that I have trusted in Jesus Christ as my Savior, and I'm living my life following Him as Lord. Was your faith not just a one-time decision, but is it something that's ongoing in the way that you live your life? That's another confirmation that you're saved. And here in Galatians 5, uh, verses 22 through 25, this passage shows us examples of the fruit of the Spirit. When we trust Jesus Christ in faith, at that very moment, the Holy Spirit comes into us and produces fruit in us. And so we see that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, forbearance, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And so we see this dynamic in this passage that these fruit of the Spirit, they're going to be in us as a result of God's work on our behalf. 
But as we seek to grow in holiness and walk in step with the Spirit, those traits are going to become more and more evident in our lives. And so I'm not saying that if these aren't true of you 100% of the time, you're not saved. That is the last thing I'm saying. Because not one of us is saved if we need to be showing these 100% of the time. Our sin no longer defines who we are, but it still can oppress us and make things darn difficult on this side of heaven. Thankfully, by God's grace, there's a day when sin is no longer going to be an issue. All that to say, if you don't see any of these fruit of the Spirit in your life, then you probably have something to worry about. And it's time to come to Christ in authentic faith and trust Him as your Lord. Um, but if you see these things to be true of you, not because of your effort, but because of God's grace and His work in your life, um, you can be darn sure that God is going to see his work of salvation in your life to completion because it's all about what he has begun, what he's doing, and what he is going to see through. And so those are, those are three tests. Are you convinced that you're a sinner in need of God's grace and have you trusted Jesus for that? Is your commitment to faith in Christ ongoing in your life as you seek to follow him as Lord? And are the fruit of the Spirit evident in your life by the grace and power of God at work inside of you? If you answered yes to those questions, then... Man, you're sleeping soundly until the day you die because you can be confident that you are saved. God has begun a good work in you and he will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That's Philippians 1, verse 6. And that's a promise. What can separate you from the love of God? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution, famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us. This is a big one. Beautiful. From the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that's how powerful God's love is over our lives. Our salvation is a sure thing, guys. We are secure in Him. What a beautiful truth that God will never let us go. Let's pray together. God, thanks so much for your word. Um, it's just so powerful. What a, what a beautiful reality it is that by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, we are saved and we are sealed. We are sealed in the Holy Spirit, a deposit of the inheritance of the blessing that is ours, uh, the future that is ours in you, God. For all of eternity, we are sustained in you. Uh, God, we get to enjoy you forever. Um, God, you use us uh, to make your glory known, and we thank you for the gift it is to be able to know you. Um, God, you are glorious. You are the most beautiful thing. We pray that you would remind us of that truth. God, that we would be people of hope no matter what we go through because of what you've done, what you're able to do, and what you will one day do in full when you come again. We pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen.